Lord, we pray for us that we would always remember, don't like this, that kind of, it's going to make a mess, and so on and so forth. And I noticed a whole lot of me, and I wasn't actually thinking much of my children. I thought, well, all right, I guess I'll sacrifice this thing. Dog's going to scratch my floors and ruin chairs and everything else and make me cry when it dies. <laughs> right? Why would I do this? Because I love my kids. And I decided this is something I'm willing to do for them. Now, I'm not saying that you should do it. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that was the decision I arrived at. But here's the thing that's happening in our house. Puppy is on the brain. Because if you're not thinking about the puppy, what's it doing? Yep, whoever said that? Jim, chewing. And it's not chewing its bone. It's not chewing its toy. It's chewing what? Yeah, your carpet, your furniture, Maya's dress. Because the dress flows when she walks, and so the puppy's high everywhere, she, and you're having to deal with that. So you have to have puppy on the brain, because otherwise it will mess up your carpet in more ways than one. It will either chew it or it will make a mess on it. Yep. So puppy has to be on the brain. And we're trying to get the kids to realize this, because Priscilla and I know this, but we'll hand off puppy to one of them. Okay. It is your job now to keep the eyes, both eyes, on the puppy. And inevitably they fail. <laughs> so the puppy does something wrong, because they decide, eh, it's fine. And they walk away. And then you walk in the room, and it's done something to the carpet. See, they're not keeping puppy on the brain as much as they need to in order for this to go well. Now, what has that got to do with, with Christian living? Well, the illustration, hopefully you can see how it imports over. A whole lot of us, a whole lot of the time, we don't have God on the brain. We don't keep him and his things and his word running around in the brain and then we get in a mess and we get in problems and we, and we blow up and we, we get mad and we, we freak out about all kinds of things and we wonder why. But it's not terribly difficult. Most of our problems go back to thinking wrong about God and about life. Uh, so let me ask you, what are the thoughts, the musings, the daydreams they kind of rummage around in your brain on a regular basis. What do you allow to linger? And notice that. What do you allow to linger in your mind? And this is different at different phases of life. When you're a little bitty kid, it's, it's very different things, right, than when you're old. It's very different issues that we tend to, to think about. I was talking to a, a young father the other day, and he goes, you know, I never cared, like, at all. He goes, my interest in politics was here. You know, just floor level. And he goes, now I'm a dad. He's been a dad for like two years. And he said, now it's like, Voo. now I'm up here and I'm worried about it. And, I, and he was like, I don't understand that. I said, no, I understand it. You're worried about the world that your kids are growing up in. He didn't even think about schools ever. Now he's got children and he's thinking about schools. He's, he's like, well, do I send them to this school, that school, you know, to homeschool? What do I do? All these interests start, and those things start lingering in the mind. Politics is not something that a junior high kid typically cares about. But by the time you get to adulthood, now that's in your brain a lot. Obviously, that's the chatter. It's so prevalent these days. Man, isn't it wild? I mean, politics, everything's becoming political. That's by design. 
but everything's becoming political. And there's different thoughts. You know, I remember as a, as a little boy always, you know, knowing tons of information about sports. I knew gobs of information about baseball. All that's, you know, just kind of somewhere back in my brain I don't even think about it anymore. But at that stage, that was a big deal. And on and on you go. You, you graduate to different phases of life, and it's in different things we allow to linger in the mind, different ideas we entertain over and over again. We entertain thoughts and ideas. The problem that we have is that we entertain the wrong thoughts. And many people today would say, well, you know, you can't, control what you love. Love is love, that whole mantra that they love to tout. You can't really control your emotions. Don't tell somebody how to feel and all that stuff. Let's leave that alone for a minute. Let's think about it like this. The tongue might be a rudder of a ship. Your emotions might be the sails, but your mind is the captain. Your mind is the captain of that ship. Maybe your emotions are in the wrong place on all a number of subjects. Maybe you don't understand why you're, you're thinking, feeling, or not thinking, why you're feeling the way you are about certain subjects. It all goes back to what you are thinking about. What are you entertaining, musing on? If you are to live right, you have to think right. And of course, this is... Uh, countercultural somewhat because we live in a soundbite culture. Headlines rule the days, not books, right? Most of us are depth of our knowledge, and they've proven this over and over. The depth of our knowledge is a headline. We look at a headline, we go, wow, that's terrible, and we move on, and we just share it with somebody like that's it. We don't bother to dig in and understand much because that's work. Why would I get into all that? We look to score points for our team. We don't really look to find truth. I want my side of the issue to win. I'm not really looking for truth because we gave up on the idea of truth as a culture, as a people. We gave up on this idea that there's absolute truth and therefore everything is my truth, your truth, all that stuff. And where's that got us? In nonsense, utter nonsense. We find it harder and harder every day to pay attention to things that matter eternally, things of depth. And this isn't just me being, you know, cranky. This is documented. This is being proven. There are books being written on the subject. How we are struggling to think deeply for any sustained period of time about things of depth because we've entertained ourselves nearly to death. All of this, of course, makes us easier to manipulate, easier to control, easier to govern, more sheep-like, because we don't think through something. We hear it, and we react. We hear, you know, a subject, we hear a, a slogan, and yeah, I'm into that. I remember the first time I really realized how sheep-like we'd become when Obama was first running for office, and all he was saying was hope and change. And people were like, yeah, hope and change. Change what? Hope and what? Because as a Christian, if some pagan, Obama, most politicians, Obama is saying hope and change, am I supposed to vibe with that? Am I supposed to connect with that? Am I supposed to be like, yeah, I'm sure he's leading us in the right direction. Hope in what? In humanity? 
Are you kidding me? Do you read history at all? You know, have you looked through American history and seen some of the awful things that we have done? And you know, you're supposed to hope that now this time we're going to suddenly be moral? Unreal. Moral according to God? What we find, as I said, though, is that we're becoming easier to manipulate because we don't think deeply. Christianity is a thinking religion. So, if I assess this right, my country is falling apart, and I'm getting dumber by the day. And what does our text say? Rejoice. (laughs) What? Doesn't that almost feel wrong? I mean, country is falling apart. Things are going wrong everywhere. You can liken yourself. You can look back and read some Jeremiah if you, if you want to understand. You're not alone in this. You can look at Isaiah and all, oh, prophet after prophet. They, they dealt with the same thing. And yet God says in the midst of that kind of stuff through Paul in this text, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Furthermore, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, I knew some people that really thought Trump was a great guy. Did he have a gentle spirit? (laughs) Be real. Any Trump fan, if you're a big-time Trump fan, be real. Was he gentle? Was that known to all? What about you? Is that known to all? So, already we're convicted here. It says, rejoice always. Well, I'm not doing that. And then he says, also furthermore, let your gentle spirit be known to all. And then he gives us this incredible follow-up, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Well, what I just read made me a little anxious. To rejoice always made me a little anxious. Same thing with, with, as he says, being gentle. Does people know me as being gentle? He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there is an avenue. There is a a route that we are to take to deal with the anxiety. We are to go like Christ to a Gethsemane and pour out our problems, our worries, our fears, our anxieties. You know, we see in the example of Christ many times in which he removed himself from the the craziness of his world and he stepped away to do what? To be alone with God. To pray, sometimes through the night. Do you sometimes watch the news or, or have problems within your own family and all that stuff and you pray for 10 minutes and you go to bed? Do you actually spend the time to pray for hours about something? Cry, and I'm talking to men here too, because sin is worth crying about? Because you see it in your own life, because you see what's happening, you see your failure in leadership, and on and on. Do you pursue that? This would be the only way I can think of that this would actually work. That is, how can I actually get to a place where I am 
letting the peace of God rule and guard my heart and mind? How can I get there to a place where I'm actually not anxious? I was very anxious the other day. I had the opportunity. I dropped my boys off at something. There was nothing that I needed to be around for, so I just drove. And I know that's an expensive <laughs> thing right about now, but to me it was worth it. I drove around for about two hours and just kind of prayed, drove out in the countryside where no one was at. And when you saw somebody, you're like, oh, that's weird. You know, you need to get out of the way. And just prayed. I don't know what your, your thing is to, to get away from stuff and to pray. But you have to find that. Because otherwise, there's, how are you accessing this route? I don't believe anyone who tells me that five minutes or ten minutes of prayer a day actually is going to alleviate their anxieties. With everything we have going on, with everything that you have going on, you look at our prayer list at church and on and on, there's so many things. Five minutes of prayer is going to do it? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. He says there further in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We like to think that um, God's just going to do this as an overwhelming flood in a difficult situation in life. Uh, going in for surgery like I just prayed about a little while ago. We hope that this peace of God just is an overwhelming sense like the Holy Spirit coming on Samson. But what I see in this text is probably, a, a, is, it's better put as a laboring to find that, a laboring to get there. How can I get to that spot? Well, I rejoice in the right things. I, I allow that to give birth to a gentle spirit because the pers- a rejoicing person is really easy to be gentle, aren't they? If you're rejoicing about things, it's easy to be gentle to other people. And further, I, if I'm praying through these problems, if I'm praying through life, if I have a life of intercession for other people and the, and the things that are weighing heavily upon my mind, now then I can arrive at this place of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. But I don't think you get there without interceding, without dealing with the Lord, without wrestling with the Lord. He says then, now, summing up much of what he said in the entire book of Philippians, and Philippians kind of, he keeps saying the same things a lot, and he cycles back around and he's summing up all he has to say about Christian stability, spiritual stability in life, when he says here, finally, in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, I read it that slow because my tendency is to motor through that, to almost skip. Like I skip to whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, worthy of praise. I read it slowly because I think there's a need to digest these things because the entire point here is to dwell on, to think on, to ponder the right things, meditation on the right things in order to change the actions. Without meditating, without dwelling on the right things, you won't be 
living right. You won't be thinking right. Your emotions will most likely be out of control and the tongue will utter all kinds of nonsense. Our culture today and our, our general teaching today tends to stick in the emotional side of things. It tends to reside there where I believe the scripture would tell us something very different in that if we, if we actually ponder the right things, the right kind of behavior comes. Now, if we go back to verse 8 when he says here, finally, brethren, whatever is true, as I said a moment ago, uh, our culture has lost the discussion. It's lost the narrative on truth. Truth is now subjective. It is culturally defined. It is uh, set up in parameters that we like ourselves. So anyone could take these particular words that are given and contort it to their own direction, divorce to the context and what's going on, it would be very easy to do that. I mean, as somebody who's on a totally different side of, an, of a discussion, of an argument with me, can say, well, look, what is true is that fetus in the womb is not a child, right? Uh, it's honorable for a mom to be able to, to make the choice to kill this life. They wouldn't call it that. To kill this clump of cells, as they call it. They would even say that it would be right. So divorce of the context of what's going on, of what the word has to say, without the divorced from God defining the terms, this starts to be relegated to just, eh, it's just good positive power thoughts. But if we let God define the terms of that which is true, the whole thing changes. If, if God's the one who defines what's honorable, right, pure, and lovely... Well, that's a very different discussion. Go back to chapter 1 in verse 9. Paul says, I, and this I pray. Sometimes I don't know what to pray for people. And one of the best things you can possibly do is find the prayers in Scripture and learn from them. So here's, here's a good one. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Well, that's a wonderful sentiment, isn't it? That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Get that part. That's adding some meat to the bones of what he's talking about. That your love may abound. Jump up and down is kind of the idea. This energy to it. May your love abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Huh. What he wants for them is to have proper, real, godly knowledge so that you can discern. The culture right now is loving to use the word equity. Not equality anymore. They've moved over to equity. And I would submit to you that they have no idea what equity is because they're not arriving at equity that is proper treatment of all people from God. They've got their own definition of what that looks like. And so therefore, it's just, yeah, you've got your version, I've got mine, let's see where they meet. He wants them to have real knowledge and all discernment. Discerning is tremendously important, as we all know, in all categories of life. You need to be able to tell what's true and what's false, what's phony and what's eh, off a little bit. 
You need to be able to discern when the milk has gone bad. You need to be able to discern when the, I don't know, I still haven't figured out yet, how long can I leave, like, meat out for? Well, Priscilla's at times told me, well, it depends on the meat, depends on the temperature, depends on, I'm like, well, I don't want that. Just tell me 25 minutes, and I'll live with that. You know, but leftovers will be sitting out, especially Priscilla will go, she'll do photography, she'll do like a wedding or something, like she's gone all day, so I cook, and the food ends up sitting out for too long, I think, and I don't know, it's been sitting out for four hours, is that bad? Eh, thank you. Eh, just throw it in the microwave, that'll cook out whatever's bad, right? Now, discernment is that ability to, to know when something has gone wrong. Your argument was good until, eh. I'm reading a book right now on narcissism, the culture of narcissism. And uh, it was written in 1994. It sounds like it was, you know, 2022. But uh, a lot of this guy, this guy is not a Christian, but as I'm reading through it, it, like, he'll give a great first half of a sentence. Like the first half, I'm like, that's dead on. And then you read the second half, you're like, well, you missed it there. And that's because you learn the word of God to be able to discern through things. Just because they said something that sounds good doesn't mean that they didn't mean it in a completely different way. Paul wants them to grow, to abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that, why does he want that? So that, verse 10, you may approve the things that are excellent. Paul wants you to be able to clap for the right things. God wants you to be able to celebrate the right stuff, not the nonsense, not the things that just really are not excellent, as it says here. Approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere, unmixed, and blameless until the day of Christ. He wants them to arrive at a level of maturity, a level of spiritual stability so that they're applauding the right stuff. I don't know if you followed uh, Black Lives Matter much, if you've paid attention to that particular group of people, but man, there's a lot of shady stuff going on with that particular group. And a lot of people, because they liked the slogan, Black Lives Matter, they were like, yes! And they jumped right on the bandwagon, and tons of people threw tons of money at this, and everything I've seen about it has been very shady. That is investigated where the money's going, and, and so on and so forth. If you've looked at that at all, you should know what I mean. But it was very easy to like a slogan and to jump on board with it and have no idea where they were really headed. If you just looked at their website when they first, you know, hopped up on the map here recently in 2020, or actually they were before that, but in 2020 is when a lot of people were paying attention to it. If you looked at their website, it talked about how they didn't like when they were looking for the destruction of the nuclear family. It's right there on their about us and who we are. But the slogan sounds good. I mean, who can't say black lives matter to me? Of course I care about black people. What a weird thing to not be able to applaud. But it's manipulation. And Paul doesn't want us, God doesn't want us just jumping on every bandwagon, being blown to and fro by every wave of doctrine. But we act like somehow it's a spiritual virtue to be able to just applaud everything. It's not. It's nonsense. That's unthinking, naive living. The word of God is seeking to equip us rightly to discern, to sift through the nonsense that the world would throw at us through its manipulative tactics so that we can approve and applaud the right things. Isn't that wonderful? When you have the right things to applaud, 
I mean, there's a lot of missionaries out there, but we have about a dozen out there in the hallway. I want to be able to celebrate those guys. I don't know about the 100,000 other missionaries. I don't know about them, but I know about these 12 over here, and I like them. And we can applaud them. And when they come home, we can be excited they're here. And we can be excited about the ministry they're doing. Because we know their ministry. We know what they're about. I don't know about everybody else. I don't know all the things they're into. But I know my people. And I can celebrate with that. And celebrate the work they're doing. That's exciting. I love knowing that we have quite a few that are here, even. That we get to interact with on such a regular basis. I can celebrate the right things. I can improve the things that are excellent not the things that are just mixed and eh. And that uh, one of the really incredible blessings is that we get to have Drew and Kara here before they go off to the field. I work with Drew regularly, you know, day in and day out. I get to see if the guy is kind of a eh or not. I get to see if he's legit. And it's, it's my honor to say to you, I'm very excited about this couple going out. I didn't know Drew all that well before they, you know, came here. I mean, I like him. He picked a good girl. But I don't know him that well. Right? And the more you're with them in life, the more you can see what they really are and what their priorities are and what they're thinking and so on and so forth. All their thoughts aligning with Scripture. And when you get to see all that and you get this long trial process to see what they're about, how awesome is that? When Jake and Wendy went out, how excited were we? You know, some of you don't even know them already. You know, that's how fast life is moving. Johnny and Maddie Tucker, how excited were we about that? It's wonderful to be able to see that. Kurt and Kim, we know these people and we see what they're about. Wonderful. Approve the right things. Be excited about the right things without guilt. It's wonderful. It's a blessing and a joy. And sometimes we miss that because we're worried about 100,000 other things. We're distracted by all the funny lights that are going on around us. And I asked these to be turned on for that reason because that's a lot of what's going on here. You are surrounded by distractions and intimidators. You're, dis you're surrounded by all kinds of things that would pull your attention. I didn't, he didn't even turn on the flux capacitor. <laughs> you know, if that thing was on, it's even harder to pay attention. I actually kind of wanted that today because that is the war you and I are in. Are you going to dwell on the right things? Or are you going to let the distractions pull you into, oh, those lights are pretty. You know, is that a lava lamp? <laughs> yes. And are we going to be pulled in all those directions? Or are we actually going to choose, choose to dwell on the right things? The things that are true as God defines them. Now, it is true that um, a baby from conception is life. It is true that it is murder to abort a child. Now, here's what also is true. I'm not too excited, honestly, about Roe v. Wade being overturned. And I'm, I'm standing in contrast to most of Christianity on our side of the fence here with this. But here's my point. It's not going to do anything in the end. You know why I say that? Because 13 states have trigger laws that are stopping it already. Arkansas and uh, Oklahoma and several others, they're stopping it already. But I don't know how many, but better part of a dozen, at least that I've seen, Fortune 500 companies are already paying for people to go to other places to get those abortions, like Illinois. I don't know why people are taking such a strong victory lap on this. This is, this is maneuvering. We didn't stop abortion. 
We didn't stop it by overturning that one decision. All it's going to do, I think, tragically, is going to, is going to rally the, the far leftists that think, hey, kill every baby. They're actually talking about now that babies should be, the mother should have a right to put to death the child after it's born. Some of you have probably read about this. It's absurd. At first I heard two weeks, then I heard 60 days, and I heard actually years ago over in, um, I can't remember which country it was, over in Europe, they were talking about up to two, two to five years. Like, what are we talking about anymore? And I could discuss all of that, but it doesn't really matter in the end. I'm not too worried about, I'm not too amped up and too excited Roe v. Wade got overturned because I know that I'm dealing with a culture that can no longer even define a woman. They cannot, they can no longer truly define evil because they don't know truth. So I'm not that excited because they're just going to find another route. We know this. We know this is the reality of the culture that we're in. They can't define basic terms anymore when it's not politically expedient. So therefore, I'm not going to get too rallied up. I'm not going to get all amped about this because I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is truth. And more, more pointedly than that, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is what we have. That's our message. We must continue on that. We must promote. We must propagate that. That's our hope. Not laws that are temporary, that will change in very short order. Instead, we ought to ourselves dwell on that which is true, as God defines it. And furthermore, what is honorable. Among the people of God, that which is honorable. Certain things ought to not even be spoken of really much among Christian people because it's not honorable. Don't let your mind stay in those spots. Don't let it linger there. Whatever is right, proper. Where should I keep my, my thoughts on? Things that are right. This doesn't mean that you don't have a passing glance at the flickering lights. This doesn't mean that you don't have occasional uh, interaction with all these things. But it does mean that no active soldier gets himself involved in the civilian affairs of the world around him. It does mean that the active soldier stays on duty, recognizes his role and his job, and seeks to stay there. I'm going to dabble in politics. Obviously, I know a few things. Right? I've got some opinions. I'm going to dabble in these areas. But I do so largely to try to deconstruct what I'm looking at. I'm trying to pull down the strongholds and of the worldview that they have so that I might properly discern it. It doesn't mean that we don't go into those realms at all or that we don't ever watch movies or something like that. It means that I don't let my thoughts linger there to hang out in that particular room. Instead, I want to dwell on the things that are pure, clean, right. As he says, whatever is pure. And further, whatever is lovely. I said earlier, what are your daydreams that you drift back to? I actually think it's a good exercise to have some good imaginative thoughts about things in life. For example, what is your future going to look like? I mean, I kind of look forward to the day when I have grandkids who love the Lord too. Right? I look forward to sitting there on a porch and drinking a cup of coffee with Priscilla 
and talking about the kids growing up, talking about that dumb dog <laughs> that we got once upon a time. I look forward to sitting at one of the lines that we used, and I actually had a guy singing at our wedding, was, I want to grow old with you. I, I, I look forward to the years ahead with Priscilla, and I think of that when there are various distractions in my mind. For example, many lustful thoughts that might come in, or, or distractions from, there's, I mean, good grief, there's so many women throwing themselves out there and advertising themselves and wanting you to look at them and all that stuff. So what do I do to combat that? One of the good things to imagine is my life with my wife. Imagine the future. And that future doesn't exist if I don't govern my thoughts. That future doesn't exist if I allow my emotions to just run the, and oh, that's pretty, I'm going to go after that, and this is cool, and, all, and I just get distracted with everything. That future doesn't exist if I don't control the thought process. So having a good imagination about the right things is useful. It's proper. And those things that I would imagine ought to be pure and lovely. Uh, you have to fix your, you have to choose to fix your attention on the right things. And as I said, one of the things that, uh, where a lot of guys lose their way with this is in relation to lust. Gentlemen, I think you ought to make it your habit to adore your wife. Look at her. Just pay attention to her. Look at her as she's cleaning the, you know, the stove, you know. And she's doing whatever. Admire her. You, she is your crown. She is your joy. And if she's not a joy, well, it's at least half your fault. That's real. So admire her. Just that's the, that's the woman that God chose to put in your life, and this is who you have. Till death do you part. L fix your affection on her. No one else. And I think this is why a whole lot of young people are really twisted up when it comes to marriage and all that stuff. They think there's something better out there. They think there's another girl out there who's prettier, or who's going to do more and be better at this and that and the other, and they don't fix their affection on one person. They're so distracted with all of the pornographic stuff that's out there. There's so many different things, and well, what about this, that, and the other? And they're, they're so worried about so many different things that they can't see God's plan is right. He's right. Set your eyes on her. Gaze upon her. Go through the Song of Solomon. I'm not going to go through all that. We've got children in the room, right? But gaze upon her. Pay attention to her. Admire her. Set your affections, your thoughts upon that which is lovely and whatever is of good repute. We don't use repute a lot. But that which is commendable. Have you ever suggested to a friend, you're sitting there and you're talking along and, and, a, and they're talking about a movie, and you're like, oh, have you ever seen this movie? And then you go, whoops. Because you remember that movie's got some stuff that maybe you, it's not commendable. Right? I mean, there's parts about it that are good, so then you have to always, it's like, this is like par for the course anymore. You tell them about a movie, like, this movie's really good. There's like three scenes in it that are awful. You need to like skip it, you know, fast forward through it and all that kind of stuff. That's something that's not commendable at that point. Think about the things that are commendable, the things you can pass off to other people. 
I caught the tail end. So was, uh, she sits there and edits pictures, and she has a movie going on in the background all the time, so she sees about like you know a quarter of it, and it's playing and all that. And I came in the room last night, and the last 10 minutes of Forrest Gump are on. And it's all, for me, it was kind of emotional, because I was like, oh, wow, I remember this. Anyway, and it kind of struck me a little bit as I was sitting, and I was like, I can't commend that movie to somebody, though. Because if you remember it, you know what I'm talking about. There's stuff in there. It's like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to like say, hey, watch this movie. It's not commendable. So what are the things? As you start narrowing this down, and now he gets beyond good repute, he gets over to excellence and worthy of praise. Well, how many things are there in life that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, and have good, you know, they're commendable and are excellent and worthy of praise? How many things are there? Well, what that does is you've got this big list of stuff. What is true? There's tons of stuff that's true. And then you start narrowing it down as you go through. And you start going, there's not a ton of things I should be dwelling on. Exactly. There's not a ton of things you should be dwelling on. You narrow the list. Just like you have to do every time you go in Walmart. And you go into the cereal aisle. You can't go in there if you're... Well, I don't shop for the, the food because it's terrible. I... I buy way too much stuff because I don't have my mind set on what I'm going to buy. I go in, I'm going to get Honey Nut Cheerios, right? And I go in my shopping cart and I go, ooh, that looks good. Boom. Ooh. Ooh, berries. Crunch berry. You know, and I just start going. I start adding all this stuff. And I come home and Priscilla's like, what in the world is the food bill so high for? I'm like, I went shopping. I haven't narrowed the list. Right? So now it's all this nonsense. It's aimless. And that's how a lot of us approach life and the things that we allow to linger here. That we allow to just hang out in our brains. Stuff that doesn't even come close to passing this list. And then we wonder. And we cry. And we pray about how we're not Christ-like as we should be. Why would we wonder? What have you been thinking about, little mind? What have you been stewing on? Have you been worried about the culture? Well, yeah. Have you been worried about your team in sports? Have you been worried, and some of you that doesn't resonate at all, have you been worried about duck hunting? <laughs> if you don't go to church here, you don't know what I mean. Sorry if you're a visitor. He knows what I mean. <laughs> Have you been thinking about, you know, whatever it is that's your hobby and your, your kind of side hustle or whatever it is? Has that lingered there too long? Well, you can be certain that it's lingering there too long if you're unable to rejoice. If you're unable to be gentle in spirit, if you're anxious about many things, if the peace of God is not ruling your heart and your mind, then you can know for certain you've been thinking about the wrong things. You've, you've been entertaining the wrong thoughts. And I love the backdrop of Philippians. As you know, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison cell. This isn't a guy who is unfamiliar with the realities of what he's speaking and notice what he says there in verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice 
these things. Paul can say that in such a way as would make, if you were to ape those same words, it would make you blush. Paul is, is not blushing about this. He's saying his life and his words are one. He's, they're lined up. He is a man of integrity. He's spiritually stable. And the stuff he's talking about isn't foreign. It's not pointing people to a field he's never been. It's not saying, hey, there's a lovely view over there. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. You should go check it out. No, that's not what he's doing. He's standing there at the peak. He's, he's viewing the, the beautiful panorama of what's going on. He's like, come here. Look at this with me. The, the Apostle Paul was practicing what he preached. That's our, that's our aim. That's our goal. We have the glorious truth of God contained within earthenware vessels. Baked dirt. That's us. We have this lovely truth that he's given us. This truth that is true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely. What are the things I should be thinking on? The things of God. Who, like, can I narrow that down from just the things of God? Yes, I could narrow it down to Jesus Christ. Where should your thoughts linger? Back on Jesus Christ. Fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. This is somewhat of another way to say that same basic truth found in other places in Scripture. Where should I let my thoughts go? Where should I choose to govern them? Govern them on the things of God. Your life will be changed. Your behavior will align with these truths. Paul goes on to say further in this text, something that's remarkable. He talks about the secret of contentment. A guy in a prison cell talking about contentment. As I sit in my air-conditioned house in my chair, you know, with all my lovely accoutrements about me and whatnot, and I think about contentment. I think about the things I don't have and the things I want, so on and so forth. And then I have Paul talking to me about this. He is not a person who was in want. He knew what it was to have very little and what it was to have abundance, and he was content either way. That's where I want to be. How do I get there? Think right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to look at this wonderful text that illumines our way. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your guidance that you didn't leave us alone, that you've given us your word and your spirit. May we be malleable in your hands. May we be pliable before you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.